Well, we have an incredible passage, chapter 16, 17, and 18, that we're going to try to get through today. Now, last week, Donna, God love her, helped us to understand the, the walk of faith is not in a straight line. If we think that, we are going to find ourselves so discouraged because for all of us, including Abraham, but it's like this, amen, it is up and down and up and down. Now, that is not to give us license to sin. That is not me mocking sin. That is reminding you that as we study this in Abraham's life, it gives us cause to praise God for his faithfulness. Not Abraham's failures, but the object of our affection is the Lord, and he is faithful. He is faithful and true. So the first thing I want to share with you today is what I call the God who sees. Oh, I'm telling you, any part of these three chapters could be a lesson on their own. There's just so much here, but you will uh, uh, accept my apology for running through it. I know you've been studying it all week, but I want you to be, uh, uh, to get this in context. Abraham has been making forward progress. Just like us, there are times when we make really forward progress, and we're so blessed by that, and, and, and we're so proud of him. He's doing good, but we're going to see chapter 16 hits, and he's going to fall flat on his face. Look with me in chapter 16. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. Now, what has happened here is 10 years have passed since God gave the promise of a son. And what happens now, we can only imagine when Abram heard that he was going to have a son, he would have rushed to Sarah and say, I've got incredible news, we're going to have a baby. And while it seemed impossible to accept or understand, I believe they both immediately began to prepare the nursery. I think Abram was drawing up plans for adding on to the tent. I think Sarah took up knitting. And she's making booties and bonnets and blankets because God has spoken and they believe. And in their belief, they assume, as we all do, when God speaks and gives a promise that the fulfillment will come quickly. The waiting period that they were thrust into is one most all of us, if you've walked with God any length of time, are familiar with. And waiting is hard. None of us like to wait for anything. Especially not something God has promised. So we can understand their restlessness. One year passes, two year passes. Sarah's bundled up all of those things she's made for baby and packed them all away. And she is beginning to second-guess herself. In the period of waiting, all of us are prone to discouragement and despair. And this is when the enemy can move in and whisper, Has God really said? Did he really say you were going to get a baby? Where's the baby? All your friends have grandchildren. Great-grandchildren. You got nothing. 
And for Sarah and for Abram, unbelief begins to cloud the vision. And she comes up with a plan. She hatches a plan because God has made a promise, but there's been a problem. The baby hasn't appeared. So Sarah is going to figure out a way to get an heir. And so she says in verse 2 to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So please go to my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And here's the kicker. Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, beloved, when we have decisions to make, it is perfectly acceptable for our spouse to discuss things with us to get our input and our uh, uh, thoughts on a matter. But ultimately, as spiritual leader of the home, Abram should have said, Sarah, I understand how restless you are. Sarah, I want a baby too. Sarah, here's what we need to do. We need to go before the Lord. You remember that altar? Let's go to that altar. Let's take an animal sacrifice. Let's worship the Lord. Let's sit in silence with him until he speaks. Let's ask for direction. And he did not do that. Instead, he listened only to her. And again, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but beloved, that is a calling for you and I as women who exert incredible influence over all of our people. Uh, if you're married to your husband, if you have children to your children and grandchildren, if you're a single woman, you have influence. Perhaps it's in the workplace, perhaps it's in the community, but women have influence. And every one of us who are married know how to manipulate our husbands. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, we know what it takes to get our own way. And frankly, a lot of times we're willing to do it. And so they are about to make the mistake of their lives. And he listens to her. He listens to her. Does not consult with the Lord. And so now Abram, verse 3, has lived 10 years in the land of Canaan. Abram's wife, Sarah, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, and gave it to her husband. He went into Hagar. She conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, that is, when Hagar saw she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And immediately Sarah says to Abraham, may the wrong done be done to me. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between me and you. And Abram says to Sarah, behold, your maid is in your power. Do to her what is good in your sight. So she treated her harshly. Here's the incredible thing. It was Sarah's idea. She got what she wanted. And immediately, she's annoyed with her husband. <laughs> now, I think all of us as wives can get that. Because when things go wrong in our lives, we tend to look suspiciously at them. Because we want somebody to blame, and they have conveniently walked through the door for their dinner, and they have no idea what's about to blow up on them. And if you're not careful, as you begin to be annoyed with your husband, you'll start getting mad at his mother. 
because you will think to yourself, if she had done a better job of raising him, we would not be in this situation. I can remember one time when Craig and I were very playfully discussing something, uh, and uh, Craig said, uh, in jest, well, obviously, honey, you have not trained me well enough. To which I said to him, in jest, here's two things you need to know. <laughs> the first, I have never tried to train you. We've been married 47 years. I have never tried to train you. Secondly, if I had, you would be farther along. <laughs> so Sarah is frustrated, so she turns on her husband. I can remember being at an event. Uh, I would tell you more of the details, but I'm ashamed to because it was the silliest thing, so shallow of me. But someone very inadvertently hurt my little feelings. And I'm ashamed of it. I'm just telling you this is my story. And I'm not going to tell you what it was about because I'm telling you, even running this through my mind, I'm thinking, now that's the stupidest thing you have ever done. But anyways, so uh, we get out to the car. And as soon as I get into the car with Mr. Stockdale, I burst into tears, which caused him to say, oh, honey, what in the world happened? And I started to tell him, and it sounded stupid coming out of my mouth. It really did. But I couldn't get the tears to stop, and the tears are just pouring. And, and he just said, uh, oh, just wish there were something I could do. Is there something I can do? I said, you can sit over there and be glad you're not the cause of all of this. <laughs> and so we get it. We get it, Sarah. We get it. Discouraged, disappointed. She is aging. Every day she's hearing her biological clock tick down. Actually, it had years before. And, and so she's thinking, we've waited too long. We've missed it. Here's what we can do. I'll fix this situation. And now Hagar despises her, treats her, and, and Sarah treats her so harshly, she fled from Sarah's presence. Now, we'll pick it up in verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her at a spring of water in the wilderness on the way to shore. That is, she was headed towards Egypt, and she decided it was better to risk dying in the desert than to live with Sarah one more minute. What a terrible testimony. And she's out there alone, and she feels alienated, and she is abandoned, and she is uh, uh, not of this country. And, uh, she must have felt so lonely and so alone and had no idea that if she could make it back to Egypt, how they would receive her. How was she going to have this baby? How was she going to support this child? All of these things are running through her mind and, and she's just collapsed there by a spring of water and the angel of the Lord meets her there. Beloved, this is the first mention in the scripture of the angel of the Lord. And most commentators believe this is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, a manifestation of him. And he comes and meets her there. Oh, beloved, don't miss this. Don't miss this. She is in the wounded place. She is abandoned. She is alone. She is ostracized. And God shows up. And I want to just help you step into the story to tell you that if you are here today and you are disheartened, God sees you. God loves you. God is pursuing after you. 
If you feel like you are alone and no one cares, God is pursuing you. And God goes on to speak to her and says, Behold, you're with a child. You're going to bear a son and you're going to name him Ishmael. Because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. He's going to have a wild nature. And his hand will be against everyone. And everyone's hand will be against him. And he'll live to the east of all of his brothers. Beloved, Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. I don't want to oversell this point. But because of Sarah and Abram's inability to wait upon the Lord, they gave birth to an Ishmael, and Ishmael and the Arabs are perpetual enemies with the Jews to this day. See, the problem with sin is we don't count the cost and often glibly enter in without realizing The impact of our sin may impact our children, our children's children to the third and fourth generation. And in their case, 4,000 years later, the Ishmaels of the world have set themselves more or less against God's chosen people. God does does not take sin lightly. And then he, she called upon the name of the Lord, verse 13. And she said, you are a God who sees. In the original language, this is El Roi, the God who sees. And I just don't want to leave that point without pressing in on you that God sees you this morning. And he invites you to his table. Song of Solomon says he has set a banqueting table and his banner over us is love. He invites you to come and dine. Psalm 23 speaks of him preparing a table before us in front of all of our enemies and invites us in the hardest place to come and sit and dine in his presence. Oh, he is calling us to a life so transformed by the power of God in our life, the Spirit of God working in us as we operate in obedience to His revealed will. He is calling us to live a life that honors and glorifies Him. But in those moments of failure, in those moments of frustration, in those seasons when life seems to have no answers, we serve a God who sees. God he sees. And he tells Hagar, go back to Sarah, go back. And so she does. She gets up, she returns there, and the baby is delivered. Look at verse 16. Abram was 86. 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to him. That is old to start out raising a child. Now, they have operated in the energy of the flesh instead of the power of the Holy Spirit. And God in his sovereignty, in his mercy, in his grace has somehow made this situation which is terribly messy. And honestly, we can barely even understand it. But in his mercy... 
he has resolved that situation in a way that honors him. I tell you, only God can do that. Only God can. And so if you're here today and you're thinking, I've messed up way too much. I can never go back. This will never work out. I got to tell you, we serve the God who sees. And if you will go to him and call upon his name, if you will come to him with a surrendered heart and a mind to obey, he will speak. He will speak. He is the God who sees. Well, the next thing I want you to see is what I call the God who meets our needs. <clears throat> I often put things in my handouts that I hope you will look at and read later, but I already know I cannot possibly uh, cover all of it. It's just some of it is just so good that I just feel like you need to know it. Well, anyways, the second thing I want you to see is the God who meets all of our needs. There is, between chapter 16 and chapter 17, a 13-year silence of the Lord. No word no vision, no interaction with Abraham in his manifestations as he's done previously. Now, Abraham knew he was going to have a son, but he does not fully know how Sarah is going to fit in that situation. And that's one of the reasons I believe that he gave in so quickly to the whole Hagar situation. Now, the incredible thing is that when God told Abraham that he was going to have a baby, it was implied that Sarah would be the mother. You get that, right? Because God has said back in Genesis, for this cause a man should leave father and mother and two shall become one. So he was dealing with them on the basis of his revealed world, word. Abraham, you and Sarah are one and you're going to have a baby. But they got that in that season of waiting. They begin to forget the things they already knew and operated purely in the flesh. And it cost them dearly. It cost them, we believe, as a result of that 13 years of not hearing from God. And then God spoke. So in chapter 17, this is the God who meets all of our needs. Chapter 17, look in verse 1. Now when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. In the original language, that is El Shaddai. Again, this is the first time this name is used in Scripture for God. El Shaddai. It means the one who is so powerful, the one who is able, the one who is capable, the one who is so strong that he can meet every one of our needs. All we need to do is trust in him. Now, I, granted, trusting and faith walking, it is challenging, right? It's not easy. In fact, as I ponder it, there's not anything easy about the Christian life, especially if you will consider that so much of the Christian experience is described with terms of warfare, God trains my hand for battle. He is a shield and a bulwark to me. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ. Put on the whole armor of God so you'll be able to stand in the day of warfare against the enemy. And yet, somehow, you and I think we signed up for a cruise ship. And this is a battleship. We are called to fight the good fight. But here's the problem, we get tired. 
And sometimes we get bored. And sometimes we replace the good fight with our own comfort and seeking after things that satisfy us. And so in the midst of this horrible mess that Abram and Sarah have made, God shows up and he said, I'll tell you who I am, Abram. I am El Shaddai, El Shaddai. I can provide for every need that you have. And he goes on and says, I want you to walk blamelessly before me. Walk before me and be blameless is what he says. Now, beloved, you and I can never be perfect. That is not even available to us. Some of you are striving for perfection. You're never going to achieve it. And I'm going to tell you, you're losing a lot of joy in the process. It's easy for me to say this because I am not wired that way. Some of you I know are. Girls, I'm into production and not perfection. Any, any of my people out there, just get it done. Just get it done. Just a few of you. A few of you are. Uh, uh, just get it done. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't even have to be neat sometimes. It just needs to be done for heaven's sakes. And he tells Abram, walk blamelessly before me. You and I cannot be perfect, but beloved, in Christ we can be blameless. That is, we can keep short accounts. When we sin and we are convicted, we quickly make it right with a person. If we have offended them or involved them, we go before the Lord, we confess, we repent, and he grants forgiveness, and we move on. The problem is you and I often will get stuck. And as women who operate very much in our emotions, and you can only imagine how deep I live in mine, all of the sanguines understand what I'm talking about. We're just a ball of emotions, just a ball. And on a good day, we are a ball of fun. But I got to tell you, on a bad day, those emotions can take us very far down and be very dark and difficult. But here's the thing. What God is saying is walk blamelessly. Choose to walk in the Spirit. Choose to walk in truth. Choose to walk according to God's revealed revelation. Choose to be blameless before me. And then he goes on to tell Abram, I'm going to establish my covenant between me and you. And at this point, he sort of pulls together all the covenant pieces that he's been bringing before Abraham and kind of ties them together in a, a kind of a fresh revelation. And uh, he says, not only that, I'm going to multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you. You're going to be the father of the... Let me go again. And you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will you be named Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. As Abram's hearing this, and he's just prostrate before the Lord. As he is hearing this, it must just be washing over him. He is now well into old age, has not had a son, an heir until Ishmael. And now God is saying, you are going to be the father of multiplied nations. In fact, that's what Abraham means, father of multiplied nations. And not only that, he said, I'm going to change Sarah's name. Look over in verse 15. God said to Abraham, as Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarah anymore. 
but Sarah will be your name. I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come for her. Cover from her, Abraham fell on his face and he laughed and he said in his heart, will a child be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, is she going to bear a child? And Abraham says to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you, assuming that Ishmael was the son of promise. But God says, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant with his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall be the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac." whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. And when he finished talking with him, God went up from Abram. God tells him in this chapter, the, the sign of the covenant is going to be circumcision. And we see Abraham immediately following his instructions in obedience. He circumcised uh, Isaac. He was circumcised and circumcised all the men. Circumcision, beloved, in no way is a sign of salvation. It is no way necessary for salvation. It was simply a symbol that showed identification with God. And so now we see Abram, Abraham in a different level of faith walking. After he's blown it big time, God still continues to use him and helps him to understand that in him, failure is not final. And beloved, that's just good news. That's good news. And again, that doesn't give us license to fail him, but it does encourage us to know that he is faithful and true. Paul told Timothy, even when you and I are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. Praise God for that. Oh, praise God for that because you and I are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, right? I told you last week about Walker, our uh, little grandbaby, there's a lot of personality packed in that little bitty kid. But when he was three years old, we, Craig and I kept the children so our kids could go away for a week and, and uh, Craig and I could be there. And we went and moved into their home where all the stuff is and uh, took care of all four of the children. Had a really wonderful time. Well, I had decided what I would do with the kiddos is I wanted it to be a, a spiritually meaningful time. And so I decided I was going to teach the children the fruit of the Spirit. And then every night over the meal, we were going to talk about whatever fruit of the Spirit we had been studying. And we were going to talk about ways that we could show the fruits of the Spirit. Well, Walker was just three years old, and I didn't really expect him to be engaged. But he likes to do everything the older kids do. And so he wanted to memorize it too. And so with just a few prompts, he would be able, couldn't actually pronounce every word, but he would be able to go through it with us as well. Okay, keeping that in mind, we're at the end of the week, the children. Children, my children will be home in a couple of days, and we've made it through without any serious injuries or things falling all apart. And if you're a grandparent, you understand you put that in the win column. And so, 
I am having coffee in the morning. All the children are up. Everyone's playing well together when suddenly Walker, and I do hate to throw him under the bus, but Walker bit his sibling. And I mean bit him hard. And the child screamed and I ran to see and he had broken skin. He had bitten so hard. And so uh, Walker saw me and could tell that I was not happy with him. And he immediately tucked his head. And so I comforted the child that was hurt. And then I took him downstairs. And I said, look, dude, we've got to talk this through. And so I began launching into as much as I believed I could help him to see that he had done wrong and that this was displeasing and that he needed to repent and tell his sibling he was sorry and that he should never do that again. And now this child is beginning to be so distressed over what he's done, so, so repentant that the brother that was bitten is downstairs comforting him. And so I'm telling that child, I said, if you'll give us a few more minutes, I'm trying to help Walker understand that we can't go around biting people, dogs bite, cats bite, little boys do not bite. Do we get that? And he's nodding his head, yes. And, and I said to him, Walker, we've been studying the fruit of the Spirit. And he, yes, yes, he knew. And I, I said, so let me ask you, was this the fruit of the Spirit? No. Oh, no, it was not. I, I, I said, was this loving? Oh, no, this was not. Was this full of joy? Did this produce joy? No, no joy here. Was this kind? Were you kind to your brother? Oh, no, not kind. Were you good? Were you gentle? No, no, no. And I went through each one of them. Self-control. Did you demonstrate self-control when you beat your when you bit your brother? No, no, I did not. Walker, we cannot tolerate this. Do you understand? Yes, JJ. You understand you cannot bite anybody. You cannot bite your brother. Can't bite anyone. Have we got this clear? Yes, yes, we have. And again, he is so remorseful by this point that I think I have really reached him. And so I said to him, you're not ever going to do that again, are you? And there was a long pause. <laughs> and he finally tilted his little head up at me and he said, well, I might. <laughs> I'm thinking there's 30 minutes of my life I'm never getting back. <laughs> but here's the deal. You and I love God, and we want to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. We want to walk in the power of the Spirit. We want Him to manifest fruit in our life. We want others to see Jesus in us. We want to be light in the dark place. We want to operate under His authority and His power. We want Him to be well-pleased with His daughter. We want to live in His power. We want to know His Word and hide it in our heart that we might not sin against Him. But you know what? We find ourselves out there biting. And even when we are so sure we're never doing that again, we find ourselves thinking, I'm going to bite him. <laughs> and I think he deserves it. And so, just as Walker was not willing to commit to never ever, ever doing this again because he knew the weakness in his own flesh, you and I have got to realize that the flesh is alive in us. And that we, yes, we're all groaning because yes, yes it is. We have to work hard, beloved, to crucify the flesh. To take death to self. 
if we're going to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we want to, because of our great El Roya that sees us, we want to do great things, great exploits for the Lord because he is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He has given us a new name and he speaks over us. You are loved. You are treasured. You are my beloved child. You belong to me. You are redeemed. You are chosen. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I have redeemed you. I have forgiven you. I have sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's who we are. And beloved, when we begin operating in who he says we are, his spirit and his word come together in our lives. And that's when the power of God falls on us. Well, let's quickly look at chapter 18, verse 1. Now the Lord, and this is what I called the God of miracles and mercy. Now the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, and he was sitting at the tent door in the heat of the day. So Abraham, now having gotten this very clear word from the Lord, changing their names, natures are changed. They're going to have a son. They're going to name him Isaac. He's coming within the next year. And uh, Abraham, now in the heat of the day, is sitting in the shade of his tent. And he looks up and there suddenly appears three men walking towards them. And he senses within his spirit there's something unique about these men. And indeed, one of them, according to what most commentators believe, one of them was, again, a manifestation in precarnate form of the Lord Jesus. And he's walking towards them. Uh, towards Abraham with two angels. And so Abraham hurries in verse 6 and he prepares a feast and he sets it down for them. And look in verse 9. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? Now they used her new name, a name only known by God and Abraham. And so he knows, he knows this is the Lord. And so uh, he says, well, she is uh, there at the tent door behind me. And Abraham and Sarah were old. The Bible keeps reiterating they are old because this is going to be a miracle that they're going to have a child. And so they're old. Oh my goodness, they are old. And they are way past childbearing age in verse 11. And so, um, uh, the uh, uh, angel of the Lord says back in verse 10, I'm going to return to you this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife will have a son. And she was listening at the tent door and she laughed, verse 12. After I have become old, am I going to have pleasure? My Lord is old too. And yet, this is God who works unbelievable miracles. Not only that, he's a God of mercy because he tells Abraham that he is going to have to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their exceedingly wicked sin. And beloved, the interjection of that story right at this point is so significant because we see in Abraham and Sarah's life, God faith, God's faithfulness even admits their failures. But we see there is a line that God draws in the sand when he says no more with Sodom and Gomorrah. God's mercy is a glorious thing. But there are times when his judgment against sin eclipses 
his mercy after he has offered years of repentance and judgment falls. The story of Abraham is a thrilling one because we're watching the father of the Jewish nation in his faith walk. May it encourage you and may it bless you as you look at Abraham, look at your own life, and above all, lift your eyes and look at the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your time, for this time together in the Word. Thank you for the life of Abraham and how rich this story is. Father, may we not take sin lightly, but may we rejoice. You are faithful, you are merciful, and you are true. It's in your sweet name we pray. Amen and amen.